Right, so I think we can get started. Um, thank you everyone for joining. If you haven't been in our spaces before, this is the Binance NFT chat where we invite industry leaders and we try to get the most value possible out of them so you can apply that for yourself and hopefully become a successful Web3 leader yourself. So our guest today is none other than Lucas Bean. I'm not sure if that is your real name. It but is. Uh, it, does it is my real name, yep. Okay, it is your real name. It has a good twang when you say it, you know. So maybe for the people who don't know you, you know, if someone has not been on Twitter in the last six months and has not listened to any spaces, then they may have not heard about you. So who is Lucas? Uh, good question. I'm still trying to figure that out, by the way. So who is Lucas is a, is a tough question for the ages for everybody. Who am I? So for me, uh, I've been doing Twitter spaces since the last week of April of 2021. And I did Twitter spaces for 455 straight days. And each space was more than 10 hours. So I literally didn't miss a day, a weekday or a weekend was always doing spaces. So I put in the time I lived, eat and breathe Twitter spaces. But where I come from and my background is I've been in the startup and tech space for 20 years. So I've seen web one, I've been through web two, which uh, you know, and now Web3. And FYI, Web3 is just the internet. Like if you're in the startup and tech space um, three, four years ago, you were, you were automatically inducted into the Web3 space because that's just how it works, guys. It's the tech space. And um, people like us that do marketing, we, uh, we actually coined the phrase, uh, although it was a guy in 2014 that actually coined the phrase on stage, Web3 is just the blockchain layer of the already existing internet. So don't forget, we're using Web2 technology to talk about Web3 stuff right now. So until we get to like autonomy, where we're, we're on like Web3, very Web3 specific platforms, we're, we are literally just on the web. Let's go. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point here. You know, internet is where, where everything is happening and it is Web3. And I think, you know, one thing I like about what you're seeing here is that it's not just restricting us to the last two or three years where the blockchain is now becoming increasingly more popular, right? So obviously it's not just three, four years old, but let's say realistically, most people who know about Bitcoin have probably heard of it in the last three to four years, I guess, right? Um, and one thing I want to bounce on before, before we move on to anything else, you know, hosting spaces for 10 hours a day for how many days? 300, you said? Four, 400? Four, 455 straight days. And don't get me wrong, I didn't stop. I just took a break from hosting spaces because that was a lot. So... <laughs> that is that is insane. Um, how, how do you go about doing 10 hours a day? Like, uh, do you, how do you manage your PP break? You know, how, how do you eat? <laughs> how, how does work? Well, I definitely don't eat while I'm speaking because that's like an unbelievably, I think it's an unbelievably uh, rude and uncouth way of like doing spaces. If you're talking with your mouth full, like instantly, like I'm tuning off of your space. So don't do that. Mute it and actually have some people up that are, that could be your co-hosts. So while you're taking a quick break, like you want to drink some water, grab some coffee, use the restroom, uh, get some food, like go grab it. And then like take bites, chew when the mute, the mute button's on. And as soon as you don't have a mouthful, go back to talking. So it's pretty easy to do. And especially, um, I'm, I was running business. I'm running businesses in the background too. So for me, I think Twitter spaces was just me, um, co-working with everybody else in this space because during the pandemic 2021 
people were, you know, a lot of them didn't have jobs at the time and that was fine. Um, they were getting in the web three, they got in the web three because they heard the, you know, obviously the buzz and all that stuff around it. So for me, um, I think, uh, you know, being able to operate in the background and also like be present during conversations and actually taking part in your own conversations and not just letting your co-host do it all kind of like is needed. So again, if you want to do something, um, fast, do it yourself. If you want to do, you want to go, go really far, you got to do it with other people. And sometimes you actually have to like nominate folks to like help you along the way. And you know, there's someone down in the audience, Crip King down there. Awesome dude. He helps me with my daily space right now as my co-host. He's great at it. He has his own spaces as well. So I think it's a, it's an amazing thing to actually have people you can rely on and count on in this space. But with that said, I highly recommend trying to do it yourself as much as possible. Get the experience under your belt. Don't rely on people because if you do in the beginning, at least they will probably let you down because a lot of people are just in the, at the end of the day, we're made to be like inconsistent. Like we get distracted easily and there's like a thousand things that distract us to make us easily make the take, like take the easy decision of like not doing something we know we're supposed to do or not showing up because we just don't feel like it because we want to watch Netflix or we want to go have drinks yeah. with a friend or something. So, so would you say you host, you had, you got co-hosts that you knew, let's say in real life or that you had developed a relationship with, because funny enough, you're describing a story that I literally saw play out yesterday on a friend's account. So um, this guy, pretty small account, let's say maybe around a thousand followers. He's trying to host to start his own space and he got a co-host um, that I guess he knew a little bit, but, you know, a web three friend, not not like a real life or a brother from another mother. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so he got this guy to co-host the space. He started this, the, let's say they start at 5 p.m. He, he launches the space, 5.02, that guy's not there. 5.05, the guy arrives five minutes late. This is what I'm talking uh, and, about. That is what I'm talking about. Right he's there. not really engaging at first. He's not even doing yep. the intro because maybe he was eating, you know? Uh, maybe he was still on a PV break. So, you know, like how do you go about finding people you can actually trust, you know? Because I think that's probably one of the hardest things. I wanted to also start my own space uh, a little while back, and that was my main issue, you know, finding someone reliable. Yeah. So I started off doing spaces, like I said, back in the last week of April of 2021, a long time ago. Now it feels like, um, I did have five people I started with where we were doing spaces talking about crypto. To, and then I actually hosted the first NFT spaces on Twitter spaces. So during that time, the first five people that wanted to do spaces consistently with me, they were all like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm so in, I'm so in, I am so in, we're all vouching we're in. And I'm like, if you guys miss a day, just let me know. And you know what I mean? Like just so I know not to expect you, whatever the case may be. And out of the five people over 30 days, only one was left. <laughs> and uh, wow. they most, most of them disappeared in the first two weeks from being consistent because people, again, the reason why we have a disparity in like, like, 1% versus 99% of people, the 1% show up every day. They know that 90% of success is literally showing up every day. And the other parts of this is people just are inconsistent. And again, when they have a choice to be consistent and do something they don't want to do, 
because it's just like it takes work, they're going to try and find a way to distract themselves and not do it anymore. So I can tell you right yeah. now, if you rely on other people for your success, you're going to fail. So first, yeah, build, exactly, yeah. first build a process around what you want to have happen and then allow that process, like share that process and say, here's where I need you to be a co-host for this time period. And even switching up co-hosts is a good idea. Have these people like that are not your consistent co-hosts, like have like guest co-hosts and test them out. That's a good way of doing it. Like throw some people up there, test them out. And if they show up regularly and they come up to co-host, that's a pretty good sign. You can trust them at least like, you know, 50 to 75% of the time to like take the reins and co-host a little bit. And I think that's a good way of like testing and like vetting people in the space. So if you want to find some people, that's the way to do it. And you got to give new people a chance as well, right? Just like you started, how many, how many listeners did you have in your first space? Do you remember? Yeah. And outside of your co-host, right? Yeah, totally. And there was no co-hosting by the way, on Twitter spaces for the first eight months. So like literally there was no co-host spot. It was literally just me as a speaker. And I let other, other speakers like kind of like virtually be my co-host, but there was no setting for co-host back then. So, um, the best way I got lucky, like I said, you had to have 10,000 followers when spaces came out, you had to have like a bunch of like check marks and all sorts of stuff going for you. Uh, check all these boxes to allow you to have Twitter spaces and people could apply, but nobody really got it. So I, I was one of the lucky ones that actually had a space, um, the ability to do spaces. I had over 10,000 followers then. And, you know, most people just filed into my space cause I was the only one talking about NFTs for months. Like from May, June, July, August, like when, when new NFT spaces showed up was in August of 2021. So I had like the first like three, four months no one was talking about it. And so everybody was just showing up to the space and chatting about NFTs with me. And I met a lot of really great people that way too. Um, met a lot of, and interviewed a lot of people. Like there's so many people I went through and interviewed and got, and was very lucky because like I said, I was early in the space. When you show up, like, again, just keep showing up and talking about stuff you actually really like in your learning and the good people seek you out and want to be on your space, want to chat it up, want to actually, you know, basically answer, answer questions and tell everybody what they're doing. In theory, this is like a, like a talk show. You see all these people at late night, you know what I mean? They're, they're doing their rounds to different talk shows. They're doing the same thing in Twitter spaces. They have a new project coming out. They have a mint coming out. One of one artists has mints coming out. Um, a project coming out that's run by like legitimate, awesome people, things like that. Like they want to do the rounds in order to get it's kind of like a a celebrity going on a late night show and doing all of them, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, like all these shows so that they can get the word out about their new movie. Same thing in this space. Yeah. It's just like we saw Andrew Tate going on every single podcast over the last three months. That was exactly the same thing, right? He's trying to leverage other people, audiences and uh, movie stars do it when there is a new movie coming out, et cetera. So, I mean, I think your name should really be changed to Lucas. OG Bean, right? Because if you were there before the co-hosting, if you were there before when you had to apply to actually host a space, uh, that sounds like you've been here for a long time. So, you know, that kind of gives me a pretty good segue because we haven't even actually got to our questions yet, by the way, sure. guys. So Let's this is just purely out there. Uh, but, you know, that kind of gave me a good segue. Like, why are you in the NFT space in the first place? Because you've got a bit of a, 
a pretty decent background, which we're going to go over uh, in a minute. But yeah, why NFTs? Why the NFT space in the first place? What, what, why do you like it? Well, first, uh, again, the NFT space is just an extension of the startup and tech space. And that's all it really is. Like NFTs are used to crowdfund software projects. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it should be used for. NFTs is like a very convenient way. It's kind of like crowdfunding through Indiegogo, except for you're getting a PFP and you're being able to raise money through retail investors rather than traditional VCs and things like that. So I came into the NFT space and, you know, I knew about NFTs. I knew, obviously, I've, I'm an early investor in Bitcoin. Um, obviously, it's too bad I sold it, you know, back. I bought some in 2012, sold some in 2014. So that that that's that. And then I uh, got into Ethereum in 2017, sold in 2018, um, and then got back into it during the pandemic. So right in the heat of the pandemic, August of 2020, um, I was just hanging out. A friend of mine reached out to me. He was a graphic designer, really good graphic designer. And he was like, Hey, I'm going to try and sell my art on as, you know, crypto art block on the blockchain. It's going to be minted on the blockchain. And I was like, wait a minute, you can't sell your art right now. And you have hundreds of thousands of followers across all social media, like tons of followers, but you couldn't sell. He could not sell his art for $9 a print over the internet or, you know, uh, you know, wallpaper, whatever, whatever the case may be, what he was, how he was trying to sell it. He would ask his members on, on Twitter and on Instagram, Hey, if I did this, if I released this, would you guys buy it? And everybody and their mother said, yes, we're so behind you. Release it, release it, release it. And this is hundreds of thousands of followers. He released his $9. Hey, you know, invest in this and you get one of my prints, you know, and he's all this stuff. There's a really, it was a really good deal actually because he's a great artist. He released it on the Twitter crickets, hundred percent crickets. Like no one bought, no one did anything. But as soon as he put it on NFTs, I was like, okay, so you're going to try and sell your art for thousands of dollars that you could not sell for $9. Like, so me just being a business guy, it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Like, why would anybody I can pay, imagine? Yeah. Yeah. Why would anybody pay thousands and thousands of dollars? But I'm like, you know what? I'll help you anyway. I created a quick, uh, it wasn't quick, but it was like 24 hours. I created like a marketing and strategy plan because I was like, this guy's going to be, you know, selling this stuff for a while. So I made like a, qu a quarter long, three month long period uh, strategy plan. And it wasn't like I, I, it wasn't like rocket science. It was just like, here's what we're going to do, you know, this week and here's what we're going to do that week. And it's like day over day stuff. And he, sold all of his art in 26 minutes. He didn't even need my marketing plan. So as soon as he released it, it just sold out and he sold it for like, I mean, a lot of money, like tens of thousands of dollars he made um, in 26 minutes. So he didn't need my help, but that person passed me on to another person who also needed, you know, a strategy and marketing plan, which I also think they didn't need either. So I converted my plan, you know, I changed it by 10% and gave it to that person and they sold out in like just over 30 minutes. And I'm like, okay, you guys don't need me at all. Like, like it literally <laughs> was, all we went my, from 26 to 30 minutes. Yeah. And it was like in 30, I don't remember the exact timing, but it was like 36 <laughs> or 37 minutes. And yeah, I was just like, yeah, you guys don't need my help. And I don't know what's going on here, but people are just buying art and I, and I don't get it. So I took a piece in October of 2020 and it was an Instagram post, just some art I made on an app I have on my phone. And it was a, you know, motivational, you know, quote, I do a lot of motivational stuff. So I created some art and instead of posting it to Instagram, I minted it on Mintify and 
someone asked me, Hey, what are you proud of uh, this week that you did? And I was like, Hey, I'm, I minted my first NFT as in like, you know, people think, Oh, you minted one and now it's in your wallet. No, I minted my own art as an NFT. And the person was like, Hey, let me see it. So I posted it on like Twitter and like six minutes later, someone bought it. And I was like, what? I don't even understand what just happened here. I made 400 bucks off of it. It was only $400 in Ethereum. So it wasn't like, I made, you know what I mean? Like thousands and thousands of dollars, but there was something there where I was like, okay, people are buying this art. I'm wondering why I'm going like all in on research on all this stuff. And I started just like focusing on like what's going on in the crypto space, NFT space, like crazy. And then, um, I was working full time at a FinTech company, um, doing consulting for them. And I left that consulting gig in March of 2021 to to basically pursue, you know, uh, NFTs and like metaverse stuff. And, you know, basically flipping NFTs was very, very interesting to me and seeing like the market dynamics. Cause I'm all about just in theory, I'm just all about business and I don't really care what business just because if you look at my career, my background, you'll see like I've literally visited almost every category of business type. Yeah. Um, and I was successful in those categories. So again, like it's proving, I prove, I was wanting to prove to myself that any category I could conquer by research, studying, and then practice, you know what I mean? So no, totally. Uh, you know, you, you're just mentioning that, uh, you obviously have a pretty extensive background before moving to the NFT space. So I think this is a really good, uh, way to kind of maybe give a bit more insight to the audience as to. What have you been doing before Web2? Because you just mentioned you were kind of a consultant. And, you know, if anyone is checking the link on your profile, then they will see that you've worked with big brands like Atari, like Sony, um, as investor, consultant. So explain to us a little bit more about, yeah, that, you know, uh, career you've had so far. Because I think that kind of, as you said, you know, you care about business and that really, I mean, 100% it helped you to become who you are in the NFT space from a research point of view and consulting point of view. So yeah, give us a bit of a, of a background on, on that. Sure. So, I mean, I started my career, I was like, basically I ran North American marketing for a company called Sennheiser Electronic Corporation. They make like headphones, microphones, uh, real fancy company. And, um, when I was there, they basically, you know, I wanted to be like, you know, the the head of marketing, um, for the entire company. That was my goal. And they laughed at me and go, you need a master's degree. The master's degree is the new bachelor's degree. You can't get promoted here to the highest ranks like you want to, unless you have a, a master's degree. So I went to grad school while I was working full time and I got recruited out of grad school to go work for a startup. So I didn't even stay at um, Sennheiser and the startup was in California. It was called loremybills.com. So the day I started there, they, I think it was like a, we, they had just hit, I, I wouldn't say it was the day I started there. It was two weeks, two weeks in and they had their first $80,000 revenue day and everybody was like celebrating, going crazy. I was like, wow, this is great. It's like electric and intoxicating. And it was a job I was completely unqualified for, by the way, just an FYI. <laughs> I started like this too, everybody. I was super unqualified. I had super imposter syndrome. The job description was insane, but I took the job anyway. And I worked 16 hours a day to fill that spot that they saw something in me where they thought I was better than I was. And they were right. And I proved it to them. In six months, 
I was an expert in the space in that what I was doing for a job. And I was beyond an expert by 12 months. And my boss at the time, he was a Stanford undergrad and a master's from Harvard business school. This guy had like 20 years of experience and he's like, you now have your official, it's not, you know, I don't have my official PhD in business, of course, but he basically like anointed me. Like you now have your PhD. The company sold, um, we did a million dollar day about a year later, we had a million dollars a day in terms of revenue and the company sold to Experian for like $480 million. Um, I, I got wow. lucky. Yeah. So From the $80,000 day, right? Yeah. $80,000 day to a million dollar day in 12 months. And then the company sold and I was, uh, you know, obviously I had shares and, you know, I then moved over to be like run a part of the marketing at that company. Um, and it was just great. I mean, at that time now we, I went from working at a lowermybills.com, which was a startup to working for Experian interactive. So, and then, uh, after that, I, I bounced over to an ad tech company. Uh, I'm big in ad tech. I don't know if I'm not big deal. I just like, I'm big on ad tech as terms of technology. Cause it's not sexy. No one ever goes, Oh, I can't wait to see your ad technology. But, uh, ad tech <laughs> actually rules the world guys. Like that's how Google makes all of their money. So I, uh, I was running, I actually had the luxury of working for an ad tech company called traffic marketplace. And I was basically the head of their display ad network. And this is back when like display ads were huge. And, uh, I was able to change their business model a little bit and they were like number 12 ad network in the world. Um, and I brought them to number two ad network in the world by just changing the way they worked with like ad impressions and that company sold for 580 million. It wasn't my company, by the way. These were none, none of these were my companies. I was just an executive at them. Um, and that company sold for 580 million dollars to Epic Media. Um, and I was lucky enough to also work at MySpace as a consultant. So those other two jobs were full-time jobs, like full-on employees. And uh, I was an employee there at MySpace. I was just a consultant. Um, and that company also sold. MySpace sold to Fox. Uh, for $580 million. I don't know what the deal is with $580 million, but a lot of companies sold for $580 million exactly back then. It's and, your number. Yeah. Um, after that, I actually went to work for Sony. Um, I ran video on demand slash crackle.com. So I ran the entire division for Sony. And while I was at Sony, I kind of like was building a company in the background. Um, it was called Engage BDR. And this is a lesson to everybody who don't, who do not sign contracts. I founded the company and I hired the developer to build the fastest ad delivering network in the world. It was built on C plus plus. It was, uh, it was just way, way too much for like an ad network, but it was, uh, the, it, I mean, I could then say it was the fastest ad network in the world, fastest delivery of ads. So, uh, by the time it launched and I started building it in 08 and it launched in the, January of 2019. And by April of 2019, I was no longer part of the company because, uh, you know, my, my partners and stuff like that just found a way of like taking all my hard work. I basically, uh, what happened in the movie, the social network to Eduardo Savran, you got Steve job now. I, I got, yeah. Or no, I, I like to call it. I got, Ed, I, I got uh, Zuckerberg. <laughs> um, all right. Okay. I got Zuckerberg out of my own company. And by the way, it happens everybody. And I'm not a guy that like sues people. So I didn't sue them or anything. So, and that company went public in 2014 based on my business model. Um, so, uh, 
it's all pretty, good. pretty nice. Those people. Yeah, it's all good. I, I then, uh, like from Sony pictures after I, you know, basically helped the division I was working on, I got recruited from Sony to work for Atari and to be the head of global marketing for Atari. So that was not a consultant role either. I was a full-time employee at Sony, a full-time employee at Atari. And I was given the keys to like one of the most iconic brands in the world, like the market proliferation in terms of like testing. We tested like who knew like the Atari logo, 91% of people from ages six all the way up to 80 knew the Atari logo. They all knew exactly what it stood for. And that's the kind of company that was like next on my radar. So my job was basically to convert Atari from a AAA gaming studio company, you know, where they're launching AAA games all the time to a DLC, uh, basically direct, um, direct download games like on PC and also mobile and social games. So I made their first successful mobile game called Atari's greatest hits and the social games were, you know, there were a couple, they were, they had a few challenges like back then where the people who were building mobile games for Atari at the time, the mobile social games um, on Facebook, by the way, don't forget Facebook was a big deal back in the day where you were playing like a lot of like Farmville and all sorts of stuff on, on uh, Facebook. So we were building social games for Facebook. The problem was we did the, the guys that were building the games forgot to build, like forgot to even think about monetizing the games before they built them. And you should always, just so you know, like if you're going to build something and you have a, another idea for it later, build it into the infrastructure of whatever you're building. So just in case you need to turn something on or off, it's there behind a, behind a feature flag. So yeah. Um, had a bunch of cool successes there. And then after Atari, I started basically, I actually, it's not true. I didn't start. I went to consult for another company, which was a metaverse. Um, this, this, this centralized metaverse, uh, in 2013, um, 2014 actually. And it was interesting. Um, I thought it had some potential. And once I started there, I looked at the books and the PL and I, I realized like they weren't going to make payroll in two months. So I was only there for like a couple of weeks before I was like, you know what? Gotta go. Uh, this isn't for me. Um, I'm a fan of getting paid and I'm a fan of making sure everybody at this place gets paid. So I'm going to have to step down just because this doesn't make much sense for me to be pay, getting paid a lot of money and you can't make payroll for people that, you know, that are, are smaller and, you know, less, um, you know, they're not an executive. So all of a sudden I'm getting paid a crazy amount. And these, all these smaller people that are building the game are not going to be able to get paid in two months. I was just like, yeah, this isn't for me. So I started my own company. Um, and there, from there, I was literally a founder of three different companies and, uh, you know, exits and stuff like that. I mean, I also worked for another company after Atari, which was hello music. That was a pretty big win too. Um, it was a social commerce site for, for musicians, like rock bands, like people buying drum kits and electric guitars and bass guitars and stuff like that. I, that's actually a really cool story. I mean, when I started there, they had 40,000 members and I was able to scale their user base in 11 months to 480,000 members. And it's because I created what's called a flywheel effect. And the flywheel effect was just a couple of, uh, it's has something to do with like social proof um, and slippery and ease of connecting to people in terms of like signing them up. And that flywheel effect made them profitable in 11 months. And their, their idea, 
they thought they weren't going to be profitable for the first three years. And I was able to tune them up so that 11 months went by and they're like, wait a minute, we're profitable. Um, and then they sold the company. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty, it was interesting. <laughs> That's so, a yeah. crazy journey to be honest. And, yep. and so what, what year are we in now? Are we, that are was, we close to, uh... that was 2014 when hello music sold uh, to a company, to another company in Austin for an undisclosed amount. Um, I then, like I said, I then went and did metaverse stuff for like two or three weeks. And then I started my own company. Um, it was a, uh, it was basically a social media marketing agency that I then converted later to something else. So my agency started, I was doing quite well with that. And I, what I did was I started an events company. I started doing uh, networking events and, you know, I didn't think much of it. I'm just like, Hey, this is going to be great. I'm going to start a networking events that's going to give me leads to my social agency at the time. This is a great tool. So launched an events company at the same time as my other company. And that events company took off. The events grew from 200 people to 500 people. The second event to 800 people that signed up the third event to a thousand people. The fourth event, a thousand people signed up to a, one of my, you know, LA events. And I was just like, Whoa, what is going on here? Every month, I got over a thousand people to sign up by just word of mouth and people sharing and, you know, sending emails to people, reminding them about an event and, you know, my social marketing company, I kind of like put on the back burner a little bit and that I actually had one of my people running it because this events thing kind of like took off and I was like, wait a minute, there's something here to this. I'm building another community. And again, it's like, it's interesting because I've been building community what people call building community in, in uh, web three, like it's rocket science. I, I've been building communities for 20 years with, without calling them communities. Like at hello music, I absolutely <laughs> leveraged tribal marketing because a bass player and an electric guitar player and a singer and a, and a drummer, they all want different things. They're all different personalities. And as soon as you can tap into those personalities of what those people want, you can service them and give them a really great experience. And tribal marketing is is like is community. It's basically community building, and uh, you're giving them stuff to talk about, and then you give them the community space to talk about it. You know what I mean? Like, here's something you have in common, mm -hmm. and then here's a place to go and talk about that something in common, and that's building community. Because once you talk about something that you have in common you instantly have something to talk about and be friend. And then all of a sudden you're, you're both out there playing the guitar together. You just become best, best friends. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you just want something yeah. in common. And I think that's where NFTs come in. Like it's the same thing I've been doing for 20 years. And now it's even, I think it's actually more interesting and actually a little bit easier to build community because, you know, you go to a, a football game or a baseball game and, you become like best friends with people just because they're wearing the same Jersey. You are, you might not have anything in common with these people, but you go to like, let's just say an Eagles game. I've never been to an Eagles game. Um, if you go to an Eagles game and you have an yeah. Eagles Jersey on and somebody else has the Eagles Jersey on and that person could be a, like literally a plumber and you are a hedge fund manager. You know what I mean? Like you have nothing in common yet. You're giving each other high fives, you know, like, 
uh, you know, the person that's a plumber's buying the hedge fund manager a beer because they're like best friends. Yeah. And as soon as the it's game, a, as soon as the game's over, razor, right? Yeah. And as soon as the game's over, like they go their separate ways. But that jersey that they were wearing com- created a bond, and everybody's looking to connect. Everybody's looking to bond and feel like they're a part of something. Everybody's looking to get validation and NFTs. Us wearing NFTs is like wearing a jersey. We all have something in common instantly, and now we can all be buddies in a way until, you know what I mean, you find out like whether or not that person actually is cool or not, but you instantly have something to talk about and connect with, and all of a sudden, bam, you have a community. Yeah, and I think you're, you're touching on a really, really good point here. You know, like um, I've been to a few football games and um, I didn't have the jersey, but obviously people are your best friends for, you know, you will hug when there's a goal being scored. Even if you don't know the person on your left or on your right, you're going to, you know, give them a hug or whatever, whatever happens uh, during that moment. And I think having a PFP by default, I know that if I see someone who has the same collection as me, they already have an extra 10% trust, you know, just because we're sharing that PFD. And I think that's uh, an underrated um, an underrated part of the NFT. You know, having the same collection is already making you sort of friends even without knowing each other. So um, I can see why you probably felt that it was obviously going to be uh, very, not easy, but, you know, you had the formula to build communities and Web3 was just the perfect playground for that, I guess, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I have to admit, like my entry, like into, I mean, these are we we're all like in theory, we're all retail investors, right? And then we also have probably our day jobs, who are at least those people that are not full time, like doing things with NFT projects. Like I have my day work that pays my bills, um, and then you're into, you know, what I mean, like NFTs. So you have to like. I wasn't welcome right away. People saw me, you know, they, they looked at my experience. Oh, you worked at Atari, you worked at Sony, get them out of here. They were really not happy that I actually had ex- like a pedigree of experience. They were not happy that I was. Why would you say that? That's what I mean, why would you say we're not happy? They, they said it, not me. <laughs> they were like, get out of yeah, here. I mean, why would they were not happy about you being here with your experience, right? Because if I'm just uh, looking at it, you know, someone who's had a successful background, any background, you know, I am kind of thinking, well, that's someone who has value and who has knowledge and who probably knows a thing or two. So why, why would you say, exactly. you know, that Sony and Atari background was yeah, kind of so unappreciated? I, yeah, I can't, I can't tell you why, but I could tell you that they said that I was trying to like take something from the space and all I was doing was giving to the space. So, uh, yeah, that it was, in, it was an interesting scenario, but it's because also I had my own picture in my profile and they were like, where's your NFT picture of a, you know what I mean? Like of a animal, you know what I mean? Of a zoo creature of some kind. Yeah. I was like, Hey guys, like I'm still, you know, interested in doing these things and I'm on spaces for 10 hours plus a day. Like clearly I'm part of this. So, it was not acceptable back then. It is acceptable now to be from, you know, obviously from, you know, having a business pedigree on, on the internet, like being, you know, in the tech space is not so frowned upon anymore. I think it's interesting. And it's also, it's also the level of, you know, NFTs back in 2021, at least um, uh, early to mid 2021, there's just a lot of retail investors, right? And those retail investors didn't come 
from the tech space, right? The tech space is small. Like it might seem like it's big, but like there's like 3,000, 4,000 people that run all of these internet companies at most. And I knew all those people. Like I knew the people running, you know what I mean? Like I knew people that worked at Twitter. I knew people that worked at Instagram. I knew people that, you know what I mean? Like the reason why I knew those people, I've been in the space for so long, like 20 years. Those, some of those people, like I said, used to work for me. Some of those people were my colleagues at other companies. So like, yeah, man, it's just uh, those people that I was talking to you about, like just didn't have those connections. Like I had people on spaces that they, I don't know what it was, man. It could have been just jealousy. It could have been just like frustration. It also could have been like, I wouldn't let just anybody up on my stage because they would, you know, come up and like scream at the top of their lungs or try to like own the space and like make it their own rather than actually adding value. Yeah. So that was the tough part. That's one of the big problems when you're bringing strangers. And that's one of the reason we don't often bring bring people on this stage. Exactly. That's because we... uh, the risk of having someone shouting i mean shouting at the top of the lung is probably one of the least damaging thing that uh, people can do and uh, you have people really doing stupid things you know so uh, i completely get that so you know you just said you started hosting 10 hours a day uh, so i guess you went from zero to not even 100 you went from zero to 1000 right away so and what's the show called uh, did, did you have the same show already back then so tell us a bit more about like, no. you know what show is about and how did it start and i guess where are you now you know yeah sure um so i started back again first last week of april i started doing spaces started doing like nft significant nft spaces in the first week of may and again 10 hours a day and uh a couple of the shows i started playing with names things like that it was uh you know the spaces were very unorganized so i didn't really think of I mean, it wasn't a morning show and it wasn't an afternoon show and it wasn't an evening show. It was a, it was an all day show, right? It was 10 hours was the minimum I did. It was most, most days were like 14, 16 hour long spaces such as people popped into and chatted down. So I had a, there, I had a couple of names. Like first there was the, the GM show. Um, I started with the, that and I still have the domains and everything like that. I might change my name, but right now, I restarted doing daily space. So I stopped doing daily spaces at the end or at the beginning of September. And I started doing spaces again at the middle of December. And I just wanted to do a morning show and then also make it really concise and, and also positive. What I noticed in the space is a lot of like drama spaces a lot of drama, like something happens. So everybody gets into the space and there's like an argument or someone's hating on something else. And they're watching like this WWE slash Jerry Springer thing happen. And that's when I was like watching like just all this negative energy feeding off of each other. And I was like, I want to have like a positive space. I don't want to do drama spaces. And I was kind of like an outlier because, you know, at the end of the day, people love reality TV. They love the drama. They love the go like having people get bullied on stage and then like removed from the space or removed from the stage because they didn't say the right thing or they spoke out of turn. And like all of a sudden they're getting shamed and bullied off a stage. And it's like, this is so not my thing. Like I don't want to go on to spaces that, you know, you get bullied on. Um, or shamed off of, or slandered off of, like, it's not my ideal space. So I just started this. I was thinking, Hey, I need a positive space and I'm going to be the positive change here. Um, and I know it's an uphill battle, 
because a lot of people don't care about the positive. And if you look on YouTube is a good example, go look at like fail win videos. If you go look at fail videos, the same time you launch a, a win, a human being, human beings being amazing versus uh, a f- human beings failing, you'll have 20 million views on the fail video and you'll have like 1 million views on the positive video. So it's literally a crazy, it's like a 2000% increase in like views. If you, if you show people failing, I think it's in human beings, natural, like mentality of just like, they'd rather see people fail than succeed. And then there's like this, there's like a little bit, there's a little bit of jealousy there too. It's like, Oh, that person's doing really great. F him or F her. Like, what's that about? Like, I don't think that's the way we should do these things. You've heard they say, right? Uh, people want to see you do well until you're doing better than them, right? Yeah, that's and, uh, true. I think that's, that's true. That's maybe a part of it. Yeah, but I, I think you know, people see people failing or people falling, failing. I guess both, or uh, you know, making mistakes, etc. Because uh, it does have a bit of uh, mockery slash uh, feel good about yourself because you know people are doing worse than you, which has uh, which is kind of feeding your own ego of, you know, I'm doing good or I'm doing better than you. So I think I think that's kind of, and, and you're absolutely right. In the NFT space, because we have a lot of, you know, anons, uh, people are feeling very brave behind the keyboard sometimes. And yes. uh, will you know, it, it, people would not say a quarter of the things they say if uh, they were, their real name uh, was attached. That's, uh, and their real picture that, that's was so it. true, by the way. Like, I couldn't say that any better. It's literally if you actually really had your reputation on the line in here, 99% of the stuff people say in tweets or in threads or on spaces, it would never be said. I've met few people that were a non in real life and they're like, Oh, you're, you're Lucas bean. And I'm like, yeah, I'm six foot five. Like I'm no small person. So like when they meet me, they're like, Oh, great to meet you. And they're really nice to me, really cordial with me. And this was like a month earlier. (laughs) Yeah. And a month earlier, they were really, you know, not very nice. They were, you know, they're just like trolling, like trolling me a little bit. And then once they met me in real life, they're like, I'm not going to probably, I'm probably not going to troll him anymore. (laughs) I can imagine you said six foot five. I've seen a bunch of uh, of people putting some hearts in there. I'm not going to put any name, but uh, you know, I can see uh, a lot of people are looking up to, uh, to that towering height. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, that definitely, uh, one of those surprises, you know, because we all imagine that, uh, you know, you have a cat who doesn't look like he's about five foot eight, realistically. <laughs> so I, mean, uh, I would be surprised. Six foot five is, is damn tall. So, yeah, I would probably uh, think twice before before roasting you in, in real life if we've had some. I'm okay. I'm a, I'm a gentle, I'm a, I'm a gentle giant, my man. Like I have never been. Yeah. A, yeah. I've never, no, no. I've literally never, I've never been in a, a physical altercation in my life. So that should tell you something. I'm just a gentle, like I'm a happy. Maybe you're young, a good so. bean. Nah, that's <laughs> yeah. it. You're a good bean. <laughs> that's, it. that's it. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. Awesome. So, so, you know, like you, you started hosting 10 hours a day. You're now hosting um, your daily show again. So like, t- talk to me about how you got better at hosting, right? Because now if you're getting a thousand, two thousand, sometimes 10,000 uh, listeners on, on your space, well, people must find you somehow um, 
somehow decent to listen to, right? But I'm pretty sure you were rubbish on your first uh, space, unless you've had like a really big public experience, public speaking experience. So, how did you go from you know the newbie to the pro uh, that you are now? And and uh, you like what what tips would you give to people? that want to become better outside of practice 10 hours a day, because I know that's going to be your number one tip, I guess, you know, I wouldn't say that's my number one tip. What I, the way I got good at public speaking. And by the way, when I was in high school, uh, I was crazy shy. Um, I was like captain of the varsity soccer team. I was uh, captain of the crew team, things like that. So you'd think I'd be like this, like extrovert. No way. I'd go to like a school dance and stand against the wall and I would dance with no girls <laughs> ever. So <laughs> I could tell you right now, my, the key to why I became a decent speaker was because I was a waiter all through the four years of undergrad. Um, and I did the math of like waiting tables and in, in, in those four years, I waited something like 26,000 tables in four years. And each table I waited on was on being on, like being on stage. So I had to, I actually basically had to do really, really well, make them laugh, make them feel like, you know, I've been, I've been giving them a great, great amount of service in order to make a, a really good tip. And when you're being paid, you know, two bucks an hour by the, by the uh, restaurant you're working for, I luckily work at a, I worked at a fine dining restaurant in undergrad. So they, I, all your money came from tips. Like it literally, all of it came from tips and yeah, I just became really good at that. I actually had a public speaking uh, course my senior year and I killed it. And they're like, how are you such a good public speaker in front of like, you know, a hundred people that are watching you? And I'm like, I don't think anything of it. I'm a waiter. I do it every day. Like, you know, 40, ta yeah. 40 tables every time I'm on, on shift. Like I do like, I did like 40, like waited on 40 tables. I mean, 40 tables of like two people, like that's 80, let's just say that's 80 people, but most tables weren't just two people. And, um, yeah, I've had a lot of corporate. You're in the U.S., right? Yeah, I'm in the, I'm in Los Angeles, but I um I had a right. lot of I had a lot of also training um in terms of I wouldn't say training. I have a lot of experience speaking in front of like hundreds, if not, and sometimes over a thousand people in real life, um because of just what I did for work. You know, a lot of times I had to give like like talks to you know, offsite meetings with, you know, large companies I worked at and they, you know, there's like thousands of employees and stuff like that. And I'd have to talk in front of them. I'd have to talk in front of like hundreds of employees at offsites. And, uh, you know, there's just been lots of opportunities to, I guess, be really good at speaking and like not on purpose. Like I didn't go out of my way saying, I can't wait to be a good speaker. I can't wait to do this. And then I put in a lot of hours on spaces and I can tell you spaces didn't really help me be a better speaker spaces helped me be a better like moderator um, and host of spaces where I could like determine you know like how to keep the conversation on track how to like answer questions and most of it was answering questions I, I literally gave so much of myself to the web3 space from like May 2021 all the way up until like April, May, actually it was more like June of 2022. And then like I started doing less spaces right after that. Like I said, once I hit the 455 number, I only expected to go for a year by the way. And uh, yeah, it just went over the year and it just kept going. And like I said, I haven't really stopped doing spaces. The only time I stopped doing spaces, like I said, was September, October, November. And then I started doing spaces consistently again in December 
So yeah. And then now the web three, uh, daily buzz, um, I kicked on during the week right before Christmas week because I wanted to, so I wanted to see a positive space, like a positive audio space and I wasn't seeing them. So I just kicked on the old, uh, Lucas bean audio space and decided like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this into, into 2023 and my main goal is to onboard 100 to 150,000 people into the space in 2023. And hopefully it's a lot through giving people access to spaces like mine that are positive and welcoming and like not hating and not wanting to destroy another person or, you know, cl- like clown them or write threads about them or just be selfishly a jerk because you're in a non. Like, I'm not a fan of that. And I want people to feel welcome here. And that's my job. As far as I'm concerned, my job is to make sure people feel welcome here and not cast out because you're not part of a clique or a crew that's been in the space for like two years and they're gatekeeping. Well, guess what? I'm not going to gatekeep. You're welcome here. So here we go. You're all welcome in Lucas space. So I think, I think you mentioned so many really interesting things here. Um, And one thing I want to balance on from personal experience as well. So, I am French and I moved to the UK in 2008 and I didn't speak English at the time. And I worked in um, in retail and I also worked in hospitality. So I can 100% relate to what you're saying because, uh, sorry, my cat is just uh, rubbing on the door. Uh, if I don't let him in, he's going to scratch really hard. Uh, yeah, so I, I worked in um, retail to learn English because I thought, you know what, I need to do something that is going to be customer facing all day, right? Because that's just, I'm going to force myself to learn English. But uh, one thing I would say is if you are between 18 and 21, 22, like I would highly recommend you to work in hospitality, in retail, because it's going to forge character. It's going to teach you how to deal with annoying people, with rude people. uh, And it's just going to teach you the confidence to start talking to strangers. And I think that's pretty like one of the few things that you learned uh, while you were working as a waiter. Yep. And it's, uh, I think one of those underrated jobs, right? Because no one really wants to work late in hospitality until midnight or one in the morning. And no one really wants to work on the high street, I guess. But it's actually uh, some of the job that taught me the most about human psychology and human interaction. So um, I can imagine that you uh, learned a ton with that. And yeah, anyone who has the chance, go and spend six months working in retail. You will treat people way better by the end of it. That is a guarantee. I don't know. I don't know what you think about that. No, no, I I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I I actually have told people a thousand times and I I honestly don't think one even listened. (laughs) I'm like, you should go. If you're really having a tough time and you're not good at talking to people, go be a waiter part-time for a year and you will be unstoppable as Exactly. Anything. You could literally talk in front of a thousand people if you wait tables. Like, let's just say, again, let's just do the simple math, like part-time job, right? You work two days a week. Let's just say you work eight hours total a week waiting tables, um, each one of them being like four four hour shifts. In your four-hour shift, you do, let's just say you work, you wait on 20 tables. So that's 40 tables a week for, you know, however long you're going to part-time work, let's just say a a year, right? Um, It's, it's pretty powerful to work 2000 tables um, in a year. You're literally on stage 2000 times in one year. 
if you don't get good at speaking, then what's, you know, like what's going to change, you know, what's going to change in your life is going to be like, wow, I I did either you did something wrong or you just didn't have the right job. But I can tell you, here's, here's a good example from the past. The Beatles sucked at playing their instruments. They sucked at playing together until they played at this little dive bar every single night, never missing a night. They played together. They could even, they understood each other so well by the time they were done playing there. And I'm talking for years, they played at this dive bar every single night. Those guys got so good at like reading each other's cues and everything. They became like this amazing, obviously everybody knows who the Beatles are, right? They they must do something well. The reason why they did it is they put in the time, played together. And, you know, a lot of people are not willing to, to play five years every single night at a place I'm getting paid with, next with to nothing. So. Right? With probably play to nobody at first or host Correct. a space to nobody. Yeah, I yeah. think a lot of people want to start and have success immediately. They want to host a space, have 50, 100 listeners, go to play to a concert and you know, obviously have already people attending and going to watch them. But the reality is you just have to um, start and do it for the sake of doing it, do it for the sake of practicing without expecting numbers. You know, I think that's one of the big things Gary Vee preaches all the time. Uh, you should be creating content for a year without expecting anyone to even listen to it. A hundred percent, man. I, I could tell you, if you want to be successful at space, like space host, go out there, start a space and stay on that space for eight hours even while you're working, um, you could be co-working with people, answering questions, things like that. But when, with an eight-hour window, you have a lot higher likelihood of being discovered by big people in the space. And they come in and just chat it up with you one day. And that's how opportunity happens as a Twitter Spaces host. Like you just hang out for a long time so that people have a long time to find and discover you because Spaces are like sometimes an hour long, two hours long, four hours long. And when those spaces end, your space is still going. So they see what, what, what space can I jump to? Oh, here's just, this is the only space that's open. I'm going to go into this space and see if I can listen to what's going on. First, read the audience, see what they're talking about, and then jump up and add, add my two cents. All of a sudden you get all these big people in there. All of a sudden those turn into interviews. All of a sudden you're a successful, a, a successful space host after like, you know, three, four months, six months doing that, just leaving your space open for eight hours a day. Like I said, you could be co-working. If, as long as you don't have to be on the phone 24 hours a day um, as a salesperson, you could be doing that. So, so just That's, I mean, you know, Elon Musk says, uh, if you're working 100 hours a week, even if you're just uh, as uh, good or as bad as the other person working 40 hours a week, then your chance of success is two and a half times higher than the person working 40 hours a week. So I think there is no secret. Uh, you're putting in full shift, literally, was like a job, right? It's a full shift, 100%. eight hours for yep. most people. So, uh, that, I mean, that is pretty impressive, you know? So to be honest, I, I'm, uh, I'm a bit gobsmacked by... I've seen someone hosting a 24-hour space recently. I don't remember. Maybe it was Leap, I think. He hosted a, a 24-hour space. Um, that that uh, it probably takes a bit of uh, organization with your co-host to make sure you can get a nap in, in between uh in the middle of it you know i don't know man i've done it before and i've hosted it all the way through i've done 30 24-hour spaces so um i could tell you yeah i did um in 2021 i did a new year's uh uh, basically a new year's eve and a new year's space started at 7 30 a.m ended at 7 30 a.m um on the first of january 
And I did it on Christmas also, did an entire Christmas space all night. You know, again, people are, were alone for Christmas a lot in 2021 because the pandemic was still going on, which by the way, it's still going on, just not as heavy and people kind of like are sick of it. So yeah, man, there's, there's, I've done a lot of these things, uh, that these get these other guys have like, you know, they're talking like, Oh my God, 24 hour space. It's crazy. Yeah. I don't think it's that crazy. You know, again, like I've done 30. Um, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Not many people made a big deal out of me doing like 24 hour space, but you know, at the same time, like back then, like everybody was in my space, right. Four or 500 people were just chilling with me. We were doing like, you know, minting NFTs and buying and trading and all that stuff, fun stuff together. And, a lot of the space has changed because uh, the bear market came around and now there's just, now it's just like entertainment, um, people listening to other people argue, you know what I mean? Like I said, drama spaces in some cases, Leap does a great space, by the way. I think Leap's one of the, he's definitely, he's a very positive person for the space. He doesn't say negative things about next to nobody. Um, so I think He's one of those guys that has a very positive message out there. So if you guys want to tune in the leap show, like that's at in the evenings, I think every evening between like, I think it starts at like 8 PM Pacific, but he goes like all night. Yeah, <laughs> so like a, eight hours a day or something like that. So I think, you know, you, you remind me of uh, like, you know, if I had to give you a nickname, I would maybe give you like, like the David Goggins of Twitter spaces. You know? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> That guy is that guy's ins- that guy's insanely you know? yeah he's he's you he's, break your toes your vocal cords must have been tied at the end of it yeah so here's another thing I did I hear people talking a lot too it's like spaces is really hard work it's not when you love it I could talk on spaces eight hours ten hours in a day and feel like I was unbelievably productive and I leave with a giant smile on my face after like eight to 10 hour space, it's no problem at all to me. I don't have to gargle water. I don't have to have throat coat. I don't have to do any of that stuff. I just don't think talking on spaces, it doesn't feel like a job. So there's that analogy out there, you know, do what feel like, do what um, looks like work to others, but feels like play to you and you'll never work a day in your life. And right now talking on spaces, it feels like play to me when everybody else talks like it's, something that's like work. Right. And it's really hard work to have a space for two hours or four hours. I'm like, I could do this all day. And if I literally, if I got paid enough to do Twitter spaces, I would do nothing else, but host Twitter spaces. Like this would be like, that, that's like, uh, to my, be honest, that's a good dream. That's, that's my dream job right now. <laughs> I just want to, I just want to bounce on something. Sure. Um, I think you've got about what fifty thousand followers roughly right now. Yeah, around that. Yeah, just over yeah. fifty, barely over fifty. Yep. You uh, you just touched on something that I'm really big on, you know, which is when you do something you love, it doesn't feel like work, right? So yep. me, I love what I'm doing, and you know, I don't need to take a break. I don't need to um, go and touch some grass because I bloody love it. You know, I'm 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 here for it. So, and I think you're you're kind of saying the same thing here. So. Would you say your growth, no, sorry, what, what I want to really ask is, you know, people who are trying to be something else is not is often the people who are going to be quitting first, right? So you said you love hosting spaces, so clearly you love talking, you love uh, networking with people, and some people are um, more comfortable writing content, writing threads, writing um, maybe alpha tweets, etc. So... 
where do you where would you say your growth came mostly as in do you think you've got most of your followers from hosting spaces or actually putting tweets out because you also tweet quite a lot right and then you know for the people that are not necessarily sure about what they want to do i.e write content or um or make maybe even make youtube videos you know or or host twitter spaces how would you go about finding finding yourself for someone who's you know really at the beginning and doesn't have all that experience that you have yeah so i think if you are doing twitter spaces and you decide like that's your avenue like you should also be writing on Twitter. You should leverage all content you can on Twitter itself. The one piece I'm missing right now is video. And I plan on doing that within the next couple of weeks where I'm going to be, you know, a lot of, I hate the idea of it because it feels very vain to take like videos of yourself or like pictures of yourself. But at the same time, like people are interested in seeing like who I am and like, what's my process and like, who's the person talking on the mic kind of a thing. Like that's a unique thing that actually also builds a personal brand and a community faster is having video content because people can relate to people more over video than audio. And then people can relate to people more over audio versus writing. Right. So I, I don't know people that I follow on Twitter and I read their writings and it's cool but if I could speak to them cooler and if I can watch them on video, I feel a connection. I feel like you know them. So mm -hmm. if you are going to launch uh, a Twitter space and you want to do hosting, make sure you write threads and posts that are engaging as well, as much as you possibly can. Um, and it's, it's actually not that hard. So I, I've definitely written a lot of threads. I would say, I don't know, like 20, 30 threads, not that many, I guess, but my goal is to write at least a thread or two a week in 2023. Cause I actually really like writing threads and every, I learn a lot. I'm ravenous, like for information and research and anything I learn, there are some people and you have to understand this. There it doesn't matter if you just learned something yesterday, there are 99,000, 10,000 people that didn't learn that, that are interested in the process of you learning that and then you can actually, if you can explain something to somebody that you just learned and make it really simple to understand in like a thread, people will read that thread and start following you. And your content, your timeline should be like a Netflix series. It needs to be bingeable. You need to be able to scroll down someone's like timeline and go, oh, what's this? What's that? What's this? What's that? Okay. They write good stuff. Like 10, 20. So more than a GM. Yeah. GMs are good. Don't get me wrong. GMs are good to say, Hey, good morning. I'm here. What's up? It's good for engagement. But at the end of the day, what you really want to do is like add value. And my best way to add value is spaces. I have a, a broad knowledge of lots of things. I was successful at many categories, entertainment, games, fintech, ad tech, um, you know what I mean? Like social e-commerce, like think of all those categories, like how many people could you just throw in there and be successful at those types of businesses? I guess I'm one of them. So it's like, that's valuable knowledge to like transfer into any space, like any new space. Like I feel like I have that value to add in like hosting spaces. Like people have questions like, Hey, is this like, you know, is the web three space a lot like the, you know, web one space where there was a bubble and it burst? Uh, yeah, kind of it is, except for the only difference is um, when Web 1, uh, the Web 1 bubble, the uh, dot-com bubble burst, 
people were getting funds from institutional investors and here you're getting funds from retail investors. That's the only difference. And then you see that we call it a bear market. Really? That was kind of the bubble bursting a little bit where people were paying inordinate amounts for NFTs and then hoping they were going to go, you know, two, three, five, ten, twenty 10, 20X. And that kind of like dried up a little bit. Don't get me wrong. We're in a little bit of a bear market cycle right now. Tiny one. I don't know what 2023 holds, but I'm a, I'm more of like a builder in 2023, just like I was in 2022 and just like I was in 2021. I like to build things and personal brand is my 2023 goal because my personal brand grows, um, just allows me to give more education, learning and be able to do spaces more often. Right. I want to be able to give people advice and like, you know, shorten their learning curve. Cause like someone comes into this space and they don't know what they're doing. I want them to come into my space and like ask questions. And then all of a sudden stuff, they w- it would have taken them weeks, if not a mo- like months to learn, I could solve in like 30 minutes of talking to them. And that's, mm, what, that's yeah. what I like. Well, you obviously have a lot of experience and you don't sound, I mean, I, I don't know how old you are, but I think you're, you're definitely above 30, at least maybe Five, even 583 40. years old. No, I'm just kidding. I'm in my, I'm, I have no problem with telling people the range I'm in. I'm in my forties guys. I mean, you can't get 20 yeah. years of, uh, you know, startup and .com space, uh, experience exactly. without being, you know, going through web one and web two. And then now, now you know, obviously in the web three, I'm in my forties. Yeah. I mean, you, you worked for Atari a while ago. So, you know, Atari and most, most of the youngers, youngsters uh, on the space probably don't even know about Atari, to be honest. Um, <laughs> they all know. Uh, they all know what Atari is. <laughs> Funny thing is, they all know what Atari is. They just don't play the games because the systems, they think like Atari 2600 and things like that. That was like such a small thing Atari had. They made like AAA games. They actually used to own... Um, the Mortal Kombat franchise. Um, they sold it off to Activision for like crazy cheap. They spun off a lot of their IP that you guys would be like, like people are all like, whoa, I love that. I love that franchise. I love those. I love those games. And like at one time, like Atari owned like almost all of the IP because don't forget Steve Jobs used to work at Atari guys. Like that's a, just so you know. And uh, Nolan Bushnell used to employ him. And I've actually met Nolan a bunch of times. Really nice guy. Yeah, I mean, you know, every company evolves and uh, the, the big players of 20 years ago are no longer the big players of today. You know, YouTube was, uh, in, I think, it launched in 2008 uh, Facebook or Facebook around the same time as well. So, you know, every decade, I think there is just new big players in, in each market. But one thing I want to touch uh, on what you said before um, a while back, to be honest, but I'm just going to segue that right away. Um, you know, we are seeing some some Twitter spaces getting extremely popular. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, you've had between two and 10,000 listeners for some of your biggest spaces. You've hosted um, some big founders, some big personalities. I think you had the cool, no, you had the Neon Cat uh, guy recently. Yeah, Chris, um, I Chris, think you also yeah, Chris, the, Chris Torres is a friend, yep. So, you know, you, you've had some some pretty sizable guests for, for the NFT space. And there's other people like um, Mario Nawal. Or Na, I never know how to say his Newell, last yeah. name, but Mario Nawal with hosting enormous spaces with uh, tens of thousands of people, right? So, like, do you, do you think we are seeing maybe like kind of a new emergence of you know, new hosts that don't necessarily need to embrace like the YouTube way or the Spotify way. And maybe we are getting like a Joe Rogan 
you know, a new Joe Rogan was just going to be hosting Twitter Spaces. Um, like, what's your thoughts on how big can Twitter Spaces get, basically, you know, in terms of live viewers and also um, post-episode viewers, right? Because on YouTube, you get a pretty long um, life out of your video, right? Mm -hmm. But at the moment, you know, it's hard for people to... Uh, see your older spaces, right? Unless you scroll or you're, you use a third-party website to see the history of the spaces uh, either hosted by you or the, uh, the ones that you've participated in. So where, where do you think we're going with this to be able to you know, consider this as a, a media channel, really, um, if that makes sense? Yeah, so it already is a media channel, for sure. I mean, when I started in 2021, it already was a media channel for me. Clubhouse existed, and I've noticed a lot of people once they decided, oh, you know, Clubhouse isn't as, as, as successful anymore, which, by the way, I love Clubhouse, but, uh, you know, Twitter Spaces is my home. Um, I think uh, a lot of the Clubhouse folks came over five, six months after I started doing Spaces, and they realized that a social network with a social audio piece to it could never be beat. So Clubhouse didn't really have that social aspect to it. And I think when you're talking about like Joe Rogan and podcasting and all that stuff, like, I don't know if you know the stats on podcasting, but you know, most people, most podcasts, if you go and look, they get to around like the 20th episode or the 15th episode and no one ever publishes to that podcast again. So like there's a very small amount of people that consistently do audio podcasting or Twitter spaces and don't get me wrong. It's the new year. So you're going to see just like people go to the gym, a whole bunch of people are going to be going and trying to do spaces consistently. They're going to get like 20 people in their space, 15 people in their space, five people in their space, and they are going to give up just like all new year's resolutions. 92% of those things fail and people, because they don't see success right away because we're human beings and we're impatient. Um, we're not consistent and we're impatient and we're lazy <laughs> and lazy is not a bad thing. By the way, most successful founders are lazy and that's why they try to solve problems that allow them to be more lazy. Like great example yeah. is of a great example is I don't want to catch a, a taxi. This sucks. Getting a taxi sucks. I don't want to go through all the work of getting a taxi. Now, if people just were like, screw it. I'll just, just stay in the process of get you know, ordering a taxi and like ra you know, waving my hand and hopefully a taxi sees me. That's where Uber, uh, Uber car came from, you know, like, so, you know, if you just sit back and go, Hey, I'm going to create an app where I can push a button and a taxi shows up. I mean, talk about like, like success. Like it makes people lazier. The same thing with food order, food ordering apps, right? Like, Uber Eats, another great example. Like you, uh, you, you can easily, you have the power of cooking your own food, microwaving your own food, right? At the least, you, um, instead people just push the convenience button on their phone, which is order Uber Eats. And all of a sudden it's at your door. Instead of cooking, you just order food and it's there. And I mean, that is like, I'm, I don't, for lack of a better term, lazy. And by the way, I order Uber Eats probably five nights, five nights a week. So guess what, guys? <laughs> in some aspects of my life, I also want to have convenience and you know and use the lazy button. You know what I mean? And use oh, of course, use of those course. buttons. So it's uh, it's useful to know that when you know people are doing spaces and they're like ninety percent of them are going to give up because the audience isn't there. That's your advantage. 
to be consistent and show up because when you're consistent and you show up, people will come into your space and discover it. All it takes is one person, one person with like a couple hundred thousand followers to come in and have a good conversation with you for them to bring in five of their friends or, you know, promote something else. Like when I met Nyan cat, Chris, um, who became a friend, uh, I first interviewed him back in like May or June of 2021. And we then did spaces together every time we did, they had an, uh, a meme auction. So I don't know if you know this or not, but I actually sold one of the highest meme sales ever in my space. April, 2022, the coffin dance sold in my space for $1,050,000. So, um, Jeez. yeah, yeah. So again, because of my, my, relationship with Chris Torres or Nian cat Chris, he was able to bring people into my space and we sold Nintendo 64 kids. Um, we did a whole bunch of other ones, girl, why are you always lying? There's so many, um, meme NFTs that got sold for like hundreds of thousands of dollars in my space. Plus the one, the coffin dance that, you know, went for over a million dollars. So I was, uh, I was, again, if you make the right relationships in the space and you build trust in this space and that's like just consistently showing up and making sure you, you hold like good spaces, you don't let trolls up and make sure, you know, you manage the space correctly. You could easily make relationships that could last possibly uh, a lifetime. And those people can bring people into your space that will make you bigger. And that's just how it works. If you use Twitter the right way as a network. It's a compound. Yep. It's a compound. But, um, you know, one thing you... Uh, two well two things i really want to bounce on and the first one is really more i guess a philosophical question um i studied the uh, psychology in uh, university uh for for two years out of out of three so i did not complete it but um you know what i wanted to ask like do you think this convenience that people have for everything is making them less driven so you know for example you can just uh order food you can just um you know order a lot of things and get instant gratification you can use filters post pictures on instagram or you can meet people from all around the world through dating apps etc and you know this convenience of everything being brought to you literally to the plate you know to uh, spoon fed to you uh it's kind of taking away that drive to do things yourself and get it done and go out there etc so do you think we have like a culture of uh, basically spoiled brats you know let's let's say it as it is that and it's kind of taking away this driving motivation from people so I can't really speak to that for everybody. All I can say that is if you're able to push a button on your phone and food is delivered, that does not take my motivation away for working. That makes me want to work longer hours because I know I don't have to go down and cook for an hour um, or prepare or clean up and stuff like that. So you can, uh, you know, you get, if you don't want to do your laundry, there's fluff and fold, they call it, where you can just like have someone pick your laundry up and they'll wash it for you and fold it up nice and neat and then deliver it back to your house and stuff like that. Like if you can make smart moves like that, that opens up your time in order to either relax and refuel or focus on something you want to build. That's one thing. But if, yeah, there is a definitely a possibility that it could be changing the psychology of people going, Hey, I can push a button here and these things will happen. And you get this dopamine hit of, I pressed a button I ordered food and now it's here 30 minutes later and I'd have to cook. I can kind of see where you're getting at there where 
you know, all this instant gratification and then like having to work hard for other things like doing Twitter spaces, like tweeting, writing threads, doing the research, the writing threads is the real time consuming part. Writing threads is fun. Doing the research, if you don't like research, sucks for you. I love research. So for me, yeah, you gotta I love to try and thrive. I think if you don't, lo- if you hate doing something, you're unlikely. I mean, you will never be the best at something if you don't love it, right? Uh, so mm-hmm. if you hate doing the research, then maybe writing long threads with detail, uh, detail stuff in it, maybe it's just not for you, you know? Right. And or if I it's opinions, being, it could be just opinions yeah. though too. People write threads that are just like opinions, like right. It's like if you know a project, an NFT project, well enough, you could easily just go okay, um, let me just write down the bullet points of what happened with this project. And then you can easily write a thread on that. Like, I think this and I think that and I think this and that's why I'm going to be doing X, Y, and Z. Where for me, I like to write, like, I'm more of like a history slash, like, I don't know. For me, I do a lot of research and I, I did a, you know, I've done threads on like web web zero to web three, the history of NFTs. Um, I've done like, couple of threads on like um tulip mania which actually happened in like 16 i think it was 1636 and 1637 and uh uh, it's just stuff like that is interesting to me and i think it has a lot it has a lot of like things that are tribute to nowadays like any kind of like market that's kind of like bubbly like a bubble is forming a lot of these things have already happened in our past and if you're not a if you're not a fan of history You'll never know what's going to happen in the future. If you, if you study history, you can actually determine like, Hey, what happened in the, the dot-com bubble and literally do the research. Like what really happened? People were getting, people were getting funding. People had a PowerPoint presentation and a dream and they were getting 5 million, $10 million in funding without it was, it was, they were, I uh, think he say again. Can you guys hear me? Broke from Lucas this time. I'm just gonna say again. Uh, if you can uh, hear Lucas, put some hearts. If you can't hear Lucas, put some hundred percent. I'm right. I'm right here. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, you're back. You're back. You're back. All good. You just uh, gave us a little scare here. No, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. Um, yeah. So again, if. Uh, if you're a study, if you study history, you'll, you'll know what's going to happen in markets usually. Okay. And that's why Gary V basically said 99% of the projects are going to zero at some point. That's because every financial crisis that's ever happened ever, things went to zero eventually. Like all, almost all things went to zero. So just understand that's that like business. temporary. It's not just, it's not just NFT projects. No. You know, it's business. So that that's uh, that's for sure, you know. Yeah, um, I'm I'm yeah I'm I'm with you on this, and you know I think um, one of the interesting things you mentioned earlier is that most people after 15 to 20 spaces will kind of stop, you know. And I think one of the best things you can do when you commit to doing something that you know will involve like a sequence of uh, events, like let's say a YouTube podcast, a Twitter space, or, you know, um, writing novels or whatever, you have to commit to a certain number of, um, 
of episodes, you know, and you have to make that number sizable enough for you to know that you will gain experience, you will start gaining traction by the time you finish, uh, and you have to commit to a number. You know, like I tell anyone that wants to start a YouTube channel, you should commit to at least 20 videos because your first videos are going to be terrible. Uh, you are going to be a bad speaker to the camera. You're going to probably have a the worst editing that you will ever have in your entire editing career, etc. So, you know, like, what do you feel about, how do you feel about, you know, committing to doing, I don't know, let's say 20 spaces or 30 spaces and making sure, you know, you see it through all the way before you really make <clears throat> a decision, oh, am I good at this? Do I enjoy it? Or do people enjoy it, you know? Yeah, so... Um... For me, I never break a promise to yourself and especially never break a promise to your audience. So if you say you're going to do something uh, at X day and you're going to be there and you're not going to miss a day, make sure you, if you do miss a day, you're, you explain to people why you're missing a day. And also there's a way to like make it so you don't have to miss a day. There's always a way to fix that situation. Um, you know, if it's batch creating content, batch create content so that people can come in. And like, even if you don't have a space, let's just say, because spaces are live, let's say you don't have a space that day, but you can just like turn on your phone and then play the audio that you actually left. So maybe you're just, maybe you're just monologuing for 30 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever it is. At least you're not breaking that, that rule. If you break a promise to yourself or a promise to your audience, that internally hurts you mentally. Like it's a really bad situation because then you're, you know, breaking a, a breaking a promise to your audience. They're looking for you to be consistent. And if mm. you don't show up at the right, at that same time every day, they're going to be like, wait, what happened? Like, where is it? Where did that, where did that go? Because there's a habit form there and people need <laughs> to like count on you to keep that habit going. So. And I think you make a great point here. This is one of the bigger things for space hosts in general. Make sure you've got that consistency. You know, you we talked about leave there briefly earlier, and you know from the top of your head, his show is starting at whatever time it is in your time zone. Um, you know, I know the Nifty Portal is starting every day at X hour. You are starting your your own show at you know X hour, and we've just we keep saying when when we talk about the Binance uh, Spaces, we say it's going to be Tuesdays at six pm um, UTC and Thursdays at four pm UTC. And you know, I make a valid point to I mean, hopefully valid to hammer every single time to repeat the time that the spaces are going to be at because over time it just goes into people's head and people will know. You know, we've only host, I think it's our fourth or fifth space um, since I'm, I'm doing this series. So it's still the early days, but, uh, you know, people start to know that it's going to be at X hour. And that matters so much, you know, because people will actually, I know people who move their schedule around being able to jump on and listen to a specific space or listen to a specific radio show, you know? So that consistency of being there when you say you're going to be there and be on time is, is super, super important for, for anyone to grow, I think, you know? 100%. Um, but listen, we are reaching uh, 90 minutes, which is not a 24-hour journey, you know? But I kind of <laughs> want to keep within a 90-minute um, space. So I've got a few more questions that are burning uh, Go for, for me to ask before finished so i really want to get those um and you know the first one is really where what is 
what is going on for 2023? What are your plans, whether it's for you uh, personally, your show, um, or you know, if you're still running some sort of business? Like, What's, what's going on in Lucas' life uh, for, for 2023, and w- what are your goals? Yeah, so my goal, I, I told you earlier, it's, it's to onboard 100 to 150,000 members into the space. Um, and that's going to be with education. That's going to be with hosting spaces every, every weekday. That's for me interviewing a, a bunch of people coming up too, like making sure that people do have access to some of the thought leaders in the space, you know, coming to my space. So again, I think building, again, building my personal brand, I should have started doing a decade ago. And I think everybody should try and build their own personal brand. Cause that personal brand goes with you wherever you go. It doesn't matter if you're, you're selling, uh, you know, you could be selling, you know, hot dogs on the, on the street corner and still be building your personal brand on the side, talking about things you, you find you like basically lights you up and makes you feel electric. Right. And then eventually that personal brand can go on to whatever you do next. Eventually you're, you know what I mean? You, you decide to, uh, find a, you know, found a tech company and all of a sudden, bam, you have software and people are following you and you build up trust along the way because you, you built your personal brand the right way, which is basically by showing up, sharing your knowledge and making sure you educate and entertain people too. Don't forget the entertainment part of this. If you're boring on here, people aren't going to listen to you. They're just going to be like, Oh my God, what a snooze fest. Right? So you gotta, you gotta make it entertainment. Like it's gotta be entertaining as well. So for me, the goal is to grow my, my Twitter account to like a quarter million followers um, and make sure that I continuously put on an audio cast, to me at least, that's positive and uplifting and shines a light on the positive stuff that's going on in the world rather than just focusing on the negative WWE, Jerry Springer, and also just like Mario does a great space, but it's very politically political heavy. I, I think he does great work though. Um, the downside is like, I don't want, I don't like politics, so I will never enjoy talking for four hours about politics. It would drive me insane, but he had to do that because the audience on in web three was just too small to, to sustain his growth and his goal, um, of growing he, because he changed, which by the way, everybody should do this. You should not just talk about web three and NFTs if you actually want to gain followers, gain more traction, cross into other categories you find interesting. Luckily for me, I've been in the tech and startup space for 20 years. Again, I don't want to keep saying that, but just to make sure whoever's listening, I talk to tech founders. I talk to, you know, startup people that just started their own company, you know, and I think it's interesting. So I cross over into that. And then I also talk to like pro athletes and things like that because you know, I was in that space too. And then video gamers, you know, like I talked to big game uh, founders of like, or at least CEOs and, and like executive level people that are in the game industry too. So like I cross over into a lot of segments that aren't even necessarily web three or NFTs. And I think that's the smart way of expanding your audience. And it, you know, even talking about crypto to Bitcoin people who are completely, you know, Hey, it's Bitcoin or nothing for me like talking to them also increases your ability to like speak to people that are not in the category you're, you're in right now. And that's me. My, my category currently is definitely web three and NFTs and basically digital asset ownership. And that's my, 
that's my core right now. And I plan to expand that core into just regular fintech um, in terms of like trading stocks and, you know, uh, trading crypto and stuff like that. We're, we're having conversations about it, but I don't want to get into politics. And Mario went in the politics was a genius move because everybody likes to talk about politics. It seems like everybody likes to talk about it, but me. So, you know, more, more power, <laughs> well, more, more power to them. You know? <laughs> He also get a lot of um, of uh, clash, you know, for 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 who he brings and etc. So I think you're maybe trying to steal a little bit more polarizing. Um, though it's pro- what's you know, cool friendly. about that though is yeah. if you're polarizing on uh, Twitter, you will be successful. Like it's just the way to do things. Not like a polarizing, like hey, go and like tweet and you know slander someone in threads or tweets and stuff like that. Polarizing yourself, meaning you plant the flag and you stand behind that belief that you're talking about, whether you make friends or you actually incite your enemies to like be angry, that's okay. But polarizing content makes people want to follow you because you're going to find all the people that already agree with your standpoint and they're all going to end up following you and want to take part in helping you grow as well. So for sure. Even the one that don't agree with you, because I personally love to follow people I don't necessarily agree with. Uh, yeah. As long as they are, you know, uh, smart about what they are saying, you know, I think it's uh, super, super healthy to not be in your own echo chamber and, and listen to people from the other side sometimes. You know, it's uh, it's just going to bring you value. And sometimes, you know, when presented new evidences, you will change your mind unless you're a fanatic. Uh, but I think it's uh, it's also a healthy way to, to look at life, you know? Yeah. The only, the only problem with that piece that you just said, and by the way, I think you're right. You need to like interact with people you don't agree with. The problem is there's some objective truths out there. I could never have an intelligent conversation with somebody that believes in like flat earth. It's just never going to happen. Like that's an objective truth. The earth is round. If you're going to try and like argue to me, like (laughs) the earth is flat, it's just not going to work out. Like I'm a science guy. So yeah. Well, hopefully you're not being too polarizing about this. I don't know how the audience feels about the earth being flat, <laughs> but hopefully uh, we are not going to receive too many hate comments about no. this, uh, this statement here. I'm okay with it, though, yes. too. No, but it, I'm more talking about you know the philosophical uh, point of views, et cetera, rather than science. I think science is uh, non-debatable, hopefully. You know, if we're, if we're to all erase earth, you know, the science uh, test in a thousand years would come back with the same results, hopefully. You know, so, you know, I had another question, but I think you've kind of answered, but I'm going through go for it again. Um, you know, sure. if you had the chance to start all over, what would you be differently? Um, and I, I mean, you mentioned, obviously, trying to start your personal brand from early. So maybe outside of uh, starting your personal brand uh, 10 years ago, you know, what would you do differently if you had to start all over again? Yeah. All over again 10 years ago or all over again like when I started doing spaces? Um, yeah, for let's stick to spaces, you know, because I think that's no uh, that's probably what people are, are going to be the most interested in for, for our audience. Yeah, so if I had to do it all over again in spaces, I would make sure to vet the people I was doing spaces with a lot closer before I actually allowed them up on my stage or allowed them to like help operate one of the spaces I had. So like you said earlier, people are keyboard cowboys. Um, They're also, uh, you know, they're not completely authentically themselves on, on uh, technology. 
especially on spaces and you find out a lot about people behind the scenes and you're like, Oh, okay. None of that was true. Um, so I would definitely make sure. And I guess I would just have me as a host and I wouldn't really let anybody else like co-host or host with me, uh, moving forward. I would just do it on my own until I actually established myself over like three or four months. And then after those three or four months, I would then, you know, after people are well tried as George Washington said, you know what I mean? Like be courteous to all and intimate with few and let those few be well tried before you give them your trust. That's uh, like, that was like said in the 1700s. Okay. So he was even having problems with stuff like that. So just make sure you trust, but verify and make sure you also like make sure people put in the time with you and you get to know who those people are very, very quickly, um, at least over like mo- a couple of months time period, don't just hand them over the keys and like, yeah, come on in and be my co-host or come on in and be on my panel. There was a lot of people in the early spaces that I did that were mentally unhinged. So like I have to, <laughs> I had to, it's really hard to remove mentally unhinged people from your life after they're like connected to you. Um, so, mm. and also like doing spaces with you. So I would definitely make sure and have, uh, a big filter on trust, but verify and make sure those people put in enough time to actually earn the the spot up on stage with you consistently doing spaces with you. And I'm not saying like speakers, if they just want to pop up and say hello and like introduce themselves and talk to you and stuff like that, that's different, but consistently people showing up, make sure you choose your friends very carefully and in that kind of thing, because this is a business at the end of the day, spaces is a business. Like I'm operating it as one, at least I'm not making money from it, but I, I think it's top middle and bottom of the funnel because you're able to communicate with people back and forth. They can find, they can hear who you are in real life rather than just reading what you write. And you're able to convert people into yeah. like your experience much faster because you're talking back and forth. So I think that's powerful. Just don't let other people that have nefarious desires and needs and like wants that you just don't know what they are yet. Just make sure you kind of keep them at arm's length until they, they prove who they truly are over like months time period. If that helps. No, I totally agree. And you know, I think uh, NFT God says that, you know, your Twitter profile is your, the most precious thing, like your image, your brand is the most precious thing you have on Twitter. And if your brand gets tarnished, then it's very, very hard to come back from it. Uh, and I'm sure you've all heard this say, you know, um, trust it can take years to be earned, but it can take seconds to be destroyed. And um, it can very quickly happen if you bring the wrong people or if you affiliate with the wrong people as well. That may uh, just not be here for the right reason, you know. Um, so I think that was that was pretty good alpha. And um, I don't know who you quoted earlier from the 1700, but I think George, that was the George, alpha before the was, alpha. Yeah, that was George Washington. And uh, the person who George. the person who said the the quote uh, was you said NFT God used a Warren Buffett quote. Well, that was a Warren, that was Warren Buffett. He basically said, uh, you know, you, it takes decades to build your reputation and only minutes to destroy it. So, yeah. Right. So I'm attributing Warren Buffett to NFT God, uh, who's going to be on space with us next week. So that's going to be an interesting one. That's going to be yeah, fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's going to be a fun one. Yeah. 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 We, we, we love him. Uh, he's a really awesome guy. So, you know, there is one last question. 
question I try to ask, at least in January, while I'm talking, and it's still uh, 2022, is still fresh in the mind of uh, of everyone. You know, what would you say is, and it's just to end on a good note, I guess. But what would you say is your best memory of 2022? It could be NFT related, it could be IRL, um, anything. You know, uh, the stage is yours on this one. You know, I'd say it's the community and friends I made along the way for sure in 2022. So I met tons of people at in real life events. Um, I also, I mean, I spoke at like five different NFT conferences on panels and stuff like that was pretty exciting and it led to other opportunities. Spaces led to talking on panels, panels led to meeting people in real life, meeting people in real life that you've been talking to for months and if not like over a year, that is where the real like that's where the real rubber hits the road. Um, I've met so many people in this space uh, in real life and they're just really great people, right? So there's a couple of people down in the audience. I even see Adam McBride's down there. Great person, met him in real life in 2021. Awesome dude. Buttered toast, met him in real life. Brad met him in real life. Like there's a bunch of people in this audience I met in real life and it's taken our relationship to a new level of like trust. Um, and they're just good people. Um, not everybody you meet is going to be a good person, just like the rest of the world, you know, like just like on spaces, not everybody's a good person. You know, some are having bad days. I think everybody's a good person though. At the end of the day, they're just having a rough day when they decide to like slander or like have a bad day on you or write a thread about you just because they don't, <laughs> they didn't have a good experience in your space because they were just venting and, you know, it, I think everybody has goods and bads and, you know, human beings are deeply flawed people. So just understand like behind these PFPs, I know this is a little off topic, but behind these PFPs are people. So all you have to do is be nice to them. Like be nice to people, be uh, complimentary. Cause you know, like be, what is being mean? Have what's, what's being mean ever, done, ever done for you? Like nothing. So be that's true. And the awkward, you know, if you're willing to do the first step, uh, people try tend to reciprocate what, what you've done for them. So if you're the first one to be kind, then they will try to be kind because most people will feel guilty to be a shithead if you are just a nice person to them. However, if you're uh, the prick, then you will get that back. You know, I think that I think that's that's fair to say. Um, right. So you know, we are reaching just over well, nine, we have done over ninety minutes. It was honestly an awesome space. I feel like we've gotten so much value out of this, and you've just given us so many nuggets, some alpha. Uh, some knowledge, some experience through today. So I want to thank you so much for that. And, um, you know, I hope you can tune in uh, to listen to us uh, in the future. And everyone, make sure you uh, follow Lucas and check. He's, got, he's on Space Every Day, right? So 100%. he's got uh, his show every day. Um, make sure you tune in. And, um, yeah, you know, we'll uh, definitely see each other maybe at a conference one of those days, you know. Um, we Do you want to have any last word for the audience? Um, you know, anything you want to say to close this? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for everybody that came out to listen to this. I very much appreciate it. Um, and thanks for having me, Binance and Kalano. Like you guys are awesome. Um, I'd be very much willing to come back. This was a great show. And again, thanks to the audience for listening. I appreciate every one of you. 
Awesome. Well, we'll definitely have you back at some point. Um, well, everyone who listened, it was the Binance NFT chat with Lucas Bean, aka Luke360. Uh, we will be back in two days from now, every Tuesdays at 6 p.m. UTC and every Thursdays at 4 p.m. UTC. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I wish you a great evening, great morning, great uh, afternoon, depending on where you are, and have a good time. And uh, make sure you touch grass and uh, stay hydrated, I guess, you know. <laughs> See you, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.